Hello and welcome to the Get Social Connected Leader podcast, where I, Michelle Carville, interview business leaders around the practicalities of how, in this hyper-connected digital age, they are embracing digital technologies to tune in and connect and communicate. You can find all episodes of the podcast together with show notes via our website, carvelcreative.co.uk forward slash podcasts. In this episode of the Connected Leader podcast, I'm delighted to interview Nalima Barkta-Jones, Chief Operating Officer at Virilio and founder of the highly successful Courageous Leader event. At Virilio, Nalima's on a mission to smash away barriers to key information and core materials that small businesses need to start, grow and thrive. And through her Courageous Leadership event, she's empowering leaders to find the courageous leader within. The event, through a foundation set up in honour of her mother and working with Plan International UK, supports an education project for adolescent disadvantaged girls in Zimbabwe. Before joining Ferilio, Nalima was CEO of Alacrity, General Counsel of Essential PLC, and for over a decade she advised on international and domestic mergers and acquisitions, joint ventures, IP, and a broad range of legal, contentious, and regulatory issues. Over the past decade, she's been recognized and awarded with a number of accolades, including Inspirational Women in Law Award, the Legal Business Power List, and is listed in the Lawyer's Hot 100, to name but a few. Given the impact of the recent global pandemic, let's consider the changing landscape for leaders and what being a connected leader really means now, during this time, and indeed, the future of leadership. In my view, connected leadership is not just about being accessible on social media channels and connected technically. It's also about that connection to self, purpose and people. So in this podcast, we'll explore that element a little further. So hi, Nalima. Welcome to the Connected Leader podcast. Thank you for inviting me. So it's wonderful to have you here. We met a couple of years ago when um, you hosted uh, your wonderful Courageous Leaders event. Uh, We've just been having a bit of a pre-chat about that wonderful event. And of course, the topics for that event have always been around leadership. Do you want to just talk about why you brought that event and what your experience of the changes that are happening in leadership are meaning for you? Yes, thank you. Um, Absolutely. And I I do remember our meeting and I I thoroughly uh, enjoyed meeting you for the first time. Your your energy and enthusiasm was contagious. Uh, For me, the the core of that event was about courage. and And the critical factor is that I believe that courageous leaders can bring about seismic change. I think that someone who operates with courage can bring about really positive change in society, within their businesses, amongst their teams, uh, and eventually, you know, with with a view to bringing out positive outcomes for for those perhaps who are disadvantaged or uh, don't have the same opportunities. So Courageous Leaders is about finding the courage uh, within yourself, and that's core to that that particular event. What, is, what that event has led to is um, some really interesting insights into the different types and styles of leadership. But I think what it has done, and as you said in your opening, Michelle, that the purpose, the connection with self, purpose, and people has started to influence people's leadership going forward. 
And I think that what we've seen uh, is a seismic shift in the last three months in leadership. So just last week, I shared a quote with my colleagues at work. Um, essentially, say it was, it was of, of Lenin, actually. Lenin said, there are decades when nothing happens, and there are weeks when decades happen. And then just on Monday, Mark Carney shared the same quote. He's the former Bank of England uh, governor. And I think that's what's happened recently. Mm. And people have had to adjust their leadership styles, the way they communicate, how they behave in, in such stark ways that perhaps have led them to be different themselves and operate differently. But also some have risen and we've seen, and that's been demonstrated beautifully by many key leaders out there. So I think the seismic shift that we've seen, and there are very few crises in history that have impacted everyone at the same time. And some have risen and some have fallen. I think notably, we've seen the impact of digital and communication via digital being made for those who are supporting different causes, uh, whether it's conscious consumerism, activism, or the Black Lives Movement is a classic example. Jeff Bezos just recently in June, early June, uh, had to remonstrate with a customer who was really offended by the fact that Jeff Bezos came out and made a statement in support of the Black Lives Movement. He then received a profanity-laden email from the customer, Dave, who told him that he'd cancelled his account. And Jeff Bezos stood by what he had said and showed the courage of his conviction. And that was really impressive because he said, you're one type of customer that I'm willing to lose. And that takes courage. You know, there are not a lot of leaders who are willing to stand up in that way. But it doesn't, it's also, I think, digital leadership, I think leadership generally, conditions that we're operating under has born new leaders. Marcus Rashford's campaign yes. for, for free school dinners is, is inspiring. And, you know, although um, our prime minister said that um, he had not seen the campaign, he does acknowledge that Marcus Rashford had been um, moved by the fact that other children wouldn't have access to, to lunches and dinners at school. And he had benefited from it. And look at where he is today. So I think that leaders today are showing immense courage. Emerging leaders are showing immense courage. And the conversation has shifted to now talking about hum- leading with humility, with compassion, with kindness, engagement, and engagement with not only our team, our colleagues, but our, our customers. And I think that's, that's the shift, the seismic shift that we've seen uh, recently. And, and it's, I, I mean, it, it's, there's just so much hope and positivity in that, isn't there, when it comes to that shift? Because I suppose traditionally we felt, you know, as a collective that people with power don't always do the right thing. And we know that that's, that's not always happening everywhere around the world. And, and I love the Marcus Rashford example because that mm. is – you know, maybe people wouldn't see him as a leader uh, because he's, you know, he's a, he's a sports person, isn't he? But he has been able to take his presence mm. and use his platform and his audience for good. Mm. And, and that is, you know, that's not necessarily always the remit of the CEO, is it? Well, it hasn't, it hasn't traditionally been seen, you know, and I think that this is the point, isn't it, that we've all had to 
uh, adjust to that leaders alone don't have to be just fixated about sales, revenue numbers, profitability. These days, consumers, customers, employees are looking to leadership to set a tone. And this is particularly relevant where companies have put together values that they stand by and uh, or proclaim that they're a purpose-led business. And these days, consumers are more willing to hold you accountable to that. They're more willing to respond and they have access to you and your team through the various media that is available to them and they will make it heard. And they will want you to be transparent, but they also want you to be congruent with those those values that you proclaim that you have. And I think although we, you and I both know, and we both studied this, that brand activism is just not a new term, but conscious consumerism and that rise in consciousness is, it is people willing to say, I am not now going to act in a way that is congruent with my values, that is consistent with what I believe in. And therefore that is going to drive my choices about which companies I buy from, whether it's Patagonia, whether I believe in um, you know, Body Shop, whether I believe in the kind of products that is going to make a difference to the environment, or which the outcome of which is a positive one. It's going to increase access to water, access to education, um, or it supports the UN sustainability goals. And you've seen that in the creative industries, you know, six, five or six years ago, they stood by and said, each one of us are going to pledge towards supporting one of the UN sustainability goals. And what's fantastic is that actually more of the innovation that is coming from companies have got and paid attention to some of the things that their customers have said, we care about this. Now we expect you to behave and or operate consistently with that. It, it is. And it's interesting because I've, I've just finished writing a book around sustainable marketing and mm-hmm. I wasn't that familiar with the concept of the B Corps. And of course, that is corporations that are focused on profits, but not just profits, but that, that it's about people, purpose and profits yes. and beyond shareholder value you know it's, mm-hmm. it's got to be about the people purpose and profits and they are growing significantly you know more and more organizations are switching to become b corps but it's not it's not an easy process there's a lot of accountability in there uh, you can't just tick the box you know it's there's real accountability and i think that some organizations really struggle with with that people purpose planet positioning uh, and from a leadership perspective, I suppose, not, not necessarily that you can answer this question, but mm. what's your view then about those leaders? I mean, that's, that's a difficult, that's a different perspective, isn't it? Coming away from the purely shareholder value and being very internally driven about how profitable you are to actually becoming more expansive in your thinking about the impact that your organization has at a broader level. Yeah, I agree. It's not easy. And I mean, I think the bravest thing I've seen is um, Nike's campaign last year with with, uh, Colin Kaepernick. And the fact that they were willing to stand by a statement and an individual who took the knee. And I think that is the bravest thing that I've seen in a long time. But more and more, you can see 
um, the mathematics and the economics that work, the metrics that work in favor of doing the right thing, whether it's yeah. for the planet, whether it's for individuals, where it's for the customer, whether it's sustainability, because there are companies that are setting the uh, way and showing the way. They're, they're shining a light on this. Patagonia being been a really good yep. example of that. Where it is possible and where their profits are increasing. So you can do that. However, it is not easy for CEOs to go into an investor meeting and to be able to explain that this is what they're going to do. Because their investors, if they're the majority shareholder as well, are going to shout them down. They have to have criteria, metrics, show how this is going to make, make sense for the business and make that pivot. And it takes time and it's got to be, and there are lots of case studies to this. I mean, in fact, if you're a fan of Simon Sinek, he gives you case examples where companies withstood investor um, activism, withstood investor wrath, only to be able to show and demonstrate how by sticking to uh, core goals and doing the right thing, they actually turned around and were able to deliver shareholder value. He cites um, pharmaceutical companies who did this. CVS is one of the examples he gives of how they turned around and said, we were not going to uh, stock cigarettes and tobacco goods because actually we're a pharmacy. We're meant to be selling things that are healthy for our customers and not something that's going to lead them to suffer long-term health damage. And in fact, within a year, they were able to show an increase in share price. Um, and, I, and I think those who were detractors, those writers, those analysts who wrote about that company at the time were able to then come back a year later and say, okay, we've learned from that, uh, that team. But the CEO has to be surrounded by really strong people around him or her in order to be able to do that. And they have to have the courage of their conviction. And that does take a lot. But if they have that, they will, their employees will have that and their customers will have it because their employees will reflect that courage. They will reflect those values and they will know how to behave in those circumstances. And every single customer they meet will feel the same way. And they will feel that this is a company worthy of their, um, you know, worthy of their loyalty. And I think we have to think that way in this day and age more than ever. Digital is a fantastic way of doing that. It can absolutely lead to uh, activism for the positive benefit, either for the company or for the causes that they support. So, and I, and I agree with you, you know, wholeheartedly there, Nalima, with regards to um, with regards to a leader, because that's a lot, isn't it, for that CEO to be, you know, they're the hearts and minds, they're the brains, they're, they're, they're trying to juggle and spin so many plates about driving that organization forward with purpose mm. um, and drive that and, and lead by example, truly lead by example, so that those messages cascade down through employees out to the employee. It becomes part of the brand ethos, doesn't it, in, in many ways. Mm-hmm. That, that is a big role. And what, you know, in your experience, in, the, in, the, in your kind of coaching experience as, as well, what would you say to leaders who are struggling with the weight of, of that responsibility or, or don't quite know how to drive that forwards? That, it, that it's not your responsibility alone. If you're trying to do it alone then you are carrying a burden that is going to feel to weigh you down so much that it might render you inactive. This is not a solo mission. 
And it should never be a solo mission. Yes, it's very lonely to be at the top. It's, it's very lonely to be the CEO where you feel that you're carrying it alone. But in reality, if you are vulnerable and if you open it up and you engage in a dialogue with your, your immediate team, they will reflect back to you what they need. There is nothing more important than human connection. When you are being human and vulnerable as a leader, people will rush to your aid. It's a natural human reaction. So I don't think it should be a solo thing. I think it should be a dialogue with your customer base. It should be a dialogue with your employee base. And that communication is really vital. I've, um, through, during this lockdown period, I've spoken to and with international leaders and uh, one in particular who gave me a fantastic insight about how, um, because he sits on multiple boards, he's part of a hedge fund and he, his role is to sit on multiple boards. And one of the things he gave me, which is really interesting, is how different leaders, different CEOs responded differently to lockdown conditions and to COVID. Those who really succeeded is because they had a tight management team and they had great communication. And one thing he said, one of the key factors was transparency. They communicated in a human way. They reached out, they connected with their teams, they connected with their employees, and they shifted the dialogue to how can we help you, employee, to carry on uh, through these conditions? How can we support you? Because you are now critically the most important individual that we have to look after because you're talking to our customers. Your, your well-being, how you operate, how productive you are, the conditions in which you are working are intimately important and radically important to me as CEO because I need to know. And that will inform how I then create new policies, how we talk about coming back, how we talk about how we're going to operate in the future. But one of the things that we have to be mindful of is CEOs do have a really difficult question to answer now. How am I going to lead into the future? What does future leadership look like today? And what does it look like in three years' time? And the things that you know as CEO that you can't necessarily replicate if you are hiring new people for the first time, and, and that time will come where you are recruiting, you want to be able to share your values and the behaviors that you expect from new people. And quite often that arises when you run your sessions as CEO or when people are exposed to others in a team and they have those water cooler moments where they can ask the difficult questions or they can ask the most mundane of questions, you know, where you can say, look, I forgot where we file these things or I've forgotten where I should go and look for this or do you know who I need to speak to about this? Sometimes those just happenstance conversations happen when you go to the printer or you go to the coffee point or to the water cooler. And those things aren't going to happen if we're going to continue to operate in the way that we are during lockdown in a remote way. So you as CEO have to think about how you're going to replicate, you know, those conditions for the future. How are new people going to learn how to behave, what to look for, what to expect from an organization and create conditions that enable that to happen? Because that's how your culture is going to be recreated and to con- and continue. The magic source that you might have today in a really beautiful culture is created not just by you, it is created by everyone around you. And your behavior will be reflected to you by your team and reflected and passed on as a ripple effect into your organization. So your willingness to be open, communicate, transparent, human is going to really pay back exponentially, but don't carry that burden alone. 
And, and I love that. And of course, you know, this, the social technologies, uh, you know, when I've interviewed a number of CEOs, a number of leaders on this podcast, and, and when I was writing um, Get Social, the social technologies are a perfect platform for that level of connectivity. I mean, we, we were talking in the, in the pre-chat about how surprising it is to many, just how, how connected people can feel digitally. Now we've all had to do it. Mm. People are finding out that actually it works. And yes you know, okay, you, you don't have that physical, um, you know, they're a bit more managed, these types of interactions, because it's a planned time that you all jump onto the call. So you can't have those, those spontaneous interactions, but you can still certainly have a great deal of, of level of connection. And I suppose using social technologies and social media from a leadership perspective, you can have those spontaneous interactions because many of the leaders that I've interviewed have 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 said, you know, they they by being visible, by being transparent, by being accessible yes. on social media channels, and giving permission for their employees to connect with them and to go back and talk to those employees. Often people that may be in a different country or a different geographic location that they wouldn't ordinarily have been able to connect with mm. face-to-face in an office anyway, it's opened up opportunity, even pre-lockdown. Yes, absolutely. You know, there's a fantastic example of that. Um, so um, there's a company called HCL in India, the software business, and um, a, a fantastic case study that I read about and studied so Vineet Malhotra was the CEO of that business and he was new into that role. So he wanted to bring some different ways of, of um, engaging with his employees. So he created an Ask Vineet uh, intranet and, um, and the, the, the nature of Indian society generally is that they, they are respectful of hierarchy and authority. So the, the fact that you could ask your CEO any question was probably one that they met with some skepticism to start off with. But when they started to see that he was actually responding to questions raised, irrespective of where the question came from, um, he started to get a flood of more and more and more questions. And then he reflected at one point, because he was publishing all these answers, sharing it with everyone globally, he got to a point where he realized that he couldn't answer all the questions. He was being asked some really difficult questions. So what he did, he said, I'm reversing this. I'm now going to put the questions out there because you guys are really smart. Some of you know the answers to these questions, and I don't. Hey, he's showing vulnerability. He's showing, I might be CEO. I don't know all the answers. But you know what? I'm surrounded by fantastic people. CEOs do. They surround themselves by, you know, with giants, as that saying goes. You know, I I stand on the the shoulders of giants. I, I hire people who are essentially not like me but who essentially fix the weaknesses that I have, who come in, whose strengths are not mine, but they bring something else. They bring diversity. They bring different thought. I have to be open as CEO to be challenged. I have to create psychological safety in order to be challenged. But I have to be super comfortable that I'm willing to accept any question and also admit I don't know the answer to it. And there's nothing wrong with that. You have earned the right to be CEO. We respect that. We respect that you bring to it leadership, you bring to it knowledge, you bring to it experience. We trust your leadership, we trust your vision, and we trust the strategy that you are taking us into and going to execute. We will help you execute. But where you don't know the answer, please don't 
I'm going to swear, don't bullshit us because we don't want the BS. We smell it from a mile. It doesn't matter whether it's through social or whether it's, it's in person or via Zoom. We instinctively know when someone is winging it. And there's a great example of this on the Today program. A CEO of a very famous motoring company came on and he said, yes, we're going back. We've got all the conditions sorted out for it. And Martha Carney said, oh, interesting. Um, So how are you going to transport all of your employees and can they get onto public transport? Are you going to secure every single employee's ability to come back into the manufacturing company and and building? And he you knew in the pause they, yeah. they had thought about the logistics down to that minutiae and he winged it. And my estimation of him went plummeted at that point in time. So I thought, no, you should have just said, do you know, we are, Martha, we're still working through that. And those are the details that are critical because the health and safety of our, our employees are a priority for us. And you're right. And, you know, we will ensure that we we publish and we're transparent about the way in which we're going to do this. I would have had more respect for him. And I would have more respect for our political leaders if they did the same thing. Sorry seems to be the hardest thing as a parliament are incapable of putting out there. Yet that is the one thing that would lead us all to trust them more is humility, is their willingness to say, hey, we don't know everything, but we're working with the best. Yes, absolutely. We take that as red. But we're willing to learn. We're willing to admit when we haven't got things wrong. But we are going to shift and shift quickly to do that. But they are incapable of doing that. And that seems to, it it disheartens all of us at a time when we need trust to be the currency. I mean, trust needs to be currency all the time. But now more than ever, especially those who are vulnerable, those who are scared, those who are worried about their children, those who are worried how they're going to put a meal on the table. um, Trust in our leadership is so critical. And, and now's the time for us to be able to essentially say, you can trust us, your well-being and, and our well-being together is the most critical thing for us to be thinking about. Now. And, and I think, as you say so beautifully there, Nalima, that humility, isn't it? Mm. It's the humility. Just be human. We don't have all the answers. We don't, you know, that transparency is, is a, it's a big jacket to wear but it's so so worth it you know if you can pop that on and um so just moving into a little bit more about the social channels then and the the digital because I know you with courageous leaders and I know you with the work that you do with Ferilio you're 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 visible out there you're active every day what role have you found as the leader within your organization and with 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 regards to courageous leaders event have you found social technologies really helps to enable? Where do they fit in your leadership portfolio? I think it's, it's, it fits into all the things that we talked about, the, the communications, the fact that I am out there willing to speak my truth and be very clear about what my truths are and be held um, accountable to them. But also I think it can be fun. You can learn so much from others. I have come across people, some of the most inspiring people around the world via Twitter, um, whose words will resonate or at, perhaps at my lowest point where perhaps I wasn't feeling as motivated or energized and read some beautiful words being put out there by people who I really respect. Or perhaps I've just stumbled upon 
who's who's just inspired me, who's lifted me. And I think rise together, mm. who's special, used properly, respectfully. Um, please don't put up crap. You know, stuff that no one's interested in. If you've got nothing to say, don't say anything at all. Is really important because there's an awful lot of rubbish too, and you have to filter it. Um, but you also have to be prepared, and especially leaders. And I know this is really hard for conservative leaders who, and with a small C, um, who are perhaps not at ease with that medium. It's really hard. It, it's that uh, it's that willingness of some key people to come back to you and say, "Hey, what are you going to do about that?" Now, we can learn from a lot of people that have engaged in it. I mean, Jeff Bezos is a really good example of that. You know, he came back and he said, I'm standing, I'm standing yep. firm about something that I really believe in. I'm standing very clearly for a statement that I've made, but I am willing to lose business on that basis because it matters more than ever before that we stand and be courageous in the values that we believe in today. So for me, I've learned an awful lot from the people um, via social media channels. And one of the joyous things about it is um, there are people who we follow each other, we tag each other, we have a chat, we, we support and celebrate things and news that come out. And one of the fantastic things is being able to meet those people in person. When yes. it and, I, and that happened to me at Courageous Leaders. I met people who, who had been following what I'd been saying, who'd been tagging me, who'd linked in with me. And, um, and I met them in person. And, and I love those moments because I feel like I already know them and we know each other. We know the bones of each other. And there is um, instant connection. And if anything, as human beings, we must strive for connection. Connection, human connection is the most valuable thing that energizes us. It makes our heart sing to meet someone who, um, you know, values the things we love, laughs at the same things we laugh at, uh, enjoys the same music we enjoy, that we can talk about, or who perhaps is going to challenge us that, you know, Chariots of Fire is not the greatest movie ever made. You know, it's Shawshank Redemption and we can have conversation about it. it but it must be meaningful for us uh, in some form or another, but it can be fun and there is lots of fun to be had and, and it's, it's a joy. The gifts are a joy. You know, all of the little oh. things you do on social, they're fun and you can give back. You can support people who are feeling vulnerable, who are, who perhaps have no one else to tell. And I reached out to a lady who um, put that message across and she was in Miami and she was talking about how sad she felt on her birthday and it coincided with mine and I sent her a direct message. I didn't need to publish it to everybody on the planet. I sent her a message and I said, hey, you know, here's a message from me. I wish you, I, I put a very personal message and, and wished her a great day, but I also wanted her to have a great day her personally. And I, so I sent out a personal message and it really resonated with her because it moved her enough to come back to me to say, oh my God, that's really thoughtful of you. I don't know her, madam. I don't have to know her political convictions. I don't have to know any of that. I can look her up. I can see the sort of person that she is from her posts and I can feel comfortable in trying to do, to perhaps make someone happy on a day where they felt alone. And I feel that is an underlying message of the, way, of the way I want to live my life. I want to bring light to darkness. If I can give hope where there is none, then I've lived a life worth living. And if it's through social media, happy days, I can reach people who are feeling lonely or who need a boost 
or to whom perhaps a message that I've put out resonates and has made a difference to them that day. And perhaps it hasn't. Maybe it's just made them laugh. That's enough. That's good enough for me. That's wonderful. And, and I think that, that it's that secret source about you that you bring to the Courageous Leaders event, which is why we all come back saying, that was the best event we've ever been to. <laughs> because there is that, you know, there is that genuine desire to bring that light, you know, and just, and it does, it lights everybody up. Because as you say, we're all looking for that connection. And when that connection is real and it's transparent uh, and authentic, mm. you know, we feel it. And that's a big message, I think, because I think from a leadership perspective, and I've spoken to a number of people in senior positions and they may not be CEOs, but they're part of, you know, they're in leadership roles and, you know, in many ways, all of us are leaders in, in one way or another. And, and there is this, or there was this kind of almost mask that you had to put on to be a leader. You know, there was this, this, this kind of old school thinking that it has to be um, about, you know, command and control rather than being conscious and compassionate. Mm. Uh, and, and, and that is shifting. It, it feels like it's shifting, uh, you know, from the people that I speak to, but maybe it's because I'm attracting and, and picking the people that I want to speak to. I'm sure it's, it's not perfect yet by any stretch of the imagination. It's not. And, you know, we have to be respectful of the different conditions in which people find themselves as CEOs, as leaders, where perhaps for them to speak out with courage um, takes them out of the circle that um, has already, that placed them in that position. Yeah. There's, there's a couple of things that arise from that. One is that it's fear. What is it that's holding them back? Fear. Fear is fear of being vulnerable, fear of standing up with a, you know, for the values that you believe are true, fear that you won't be accepted, fear that those around you will um, essentially detract, walk away from you, not support you. If that is a case and you are a leader in those circumstances, are you in the right place? Are you in the right place for you to thrive, to help those around you to thrive? Are you creating conditions to enable everyone to reach their full potential and therefore your business to reach full potential? The question is, are you in a place of trust, psychological safety? Or are you in a toxic environment that holds you back, that holds diverse views back, where we can't show up and, and show our imperfect selves by revealing that our deep-seated desire and passion is not only to create a successful company, but is to give back, is to be purposeful, is to make a difference to a cause that we're very passionate about. Because the minute people who are passionate go quiet, we have lost some vitality. We've lost energy. And it's passionate people that really make things happen. Mm. You can take that passion, bottle it, and it will continue to energize over and over and over again. And it is that fear that holds us back. Overcoming fear in leadership, you know, under adverse circumstances is the essence for me of courage. And we can look to those who inspire us and take that courage to be able to operate in and create a new environment, create the kind of environment that means that everybody will thrive, that diverse voices are heard, people are seen as human. And we want the whole human to be brought into work. 
because that diversity of thought, that diversity of challenge, their passion, what they bring is what will make us collectively stronger versus us being on our own. And I am respectful of organizations that say it's always been done this way in our industry. We're not going to change. And, um, and, I, and I hear and respect the challenges that you have. But I bet if you reached out to those individuals on a human level and asked them what mattered to them, and they will tell you the most beautiful stories. They will tell you about how they watched their father work in a coal mine and they, they never wanted to replicate that experience. But if they could change that experience for their father, they would. They will tell you how education is so important for their children and they don't want to, for them to lose that. They will tell you how they came into work with fear every day, fear of judgment, fear of someone treating them badly. If you as leader can change that, you should. It's incumbent upon you. Otherwise, you don't deserve the, 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 the title of leadership. You are in a place where it is incumbent upon you to create, to be in service of those people, to create the conditions that help them to thrive. And if you're not in those conditions, you've either got to evaluate your willingness to be bullish and courageous to change it, or, and, and this is taking people alongside with you, which is, it's not a single um, lone wolf scenario. You know, the strength of the wolf is in the pack. Get people around you who buy into your vision, who you can inspire to work with you towards that vision. And if you are not in those conditions, you have to really, really ask yourself, are you in the right organization? And some people, and there are lots of examples of this, CEOs who said, I couldn't thrive in that organization, but went somewhere else and boom, you know, you've seen them thrive, you've seen them grow, you've seen the organization, you've fallen in love with their message. And you're saying, why, why have we not seen this from you before? And that is because they were suppressed. They were suppressed because they were surrounded by fear. Yeah, and, yeah. and we should never operate in an organization where our voices aren't heard, we are not seen, where fear rules versus, you know, courage, compassion, kindness. Um, you know, th- thorough, thorough challenge is always vital. Robust challenge is always vital. But, but create the psychological safety so that those conditions do thrive, those challenges do arise. And, and never operate from a place of fear because it's only ever going to lead to poor decision-making. Oh, I mean, that is powerful stuff, Nalima, there, and great advice. So if, you know, if, if, if people are feeling suppressed, mm. uh, you know, and disconnected from themselves, you know, because yes. there's an element, you're disconnected from yourself, aren't you? If, you? if you're going along with something and it's not resonating and you know, you're feeling suppressed, but you're feeling a bit trapped. Mm. You know, that's, that's a challenge, isn't it? Uh, and it's that- a challenge. And, it, and it's work, you know, it's, it's the reason why we work with coaches or perhaps why we have such good friends around us. You know, friends who only want to tell us the positives are not really our friends. They're not necessarily helping us along the way. But those who are saying, you know, you've gone really quiet. These are things you used to be so passionate about. Where's your energy? What's happened to you? Talk to me. Tell me what's going on. Let's go for a, you know, a walk where, where we're close to nature, where we're open, where there's nothing that surrounds us that is going to feel, make us feel oppressed. Let's just be really hard to heart. What we forget, we bring our whole selves. We work so hard and we know the nature of working these days. It's pounding us in every way. We, there is no off button. And as a consequence, we, we are out of balance where we lose the very balance that makes us an individual. So the things in our personal lives that 
make us whole human beings, that make us passionate. We want to take some of the passion into our work. That's what makes us human. That's what creates human connection is our ability to do that. So, so it also means that as a result, everything in work works towards our self-esteem, right? So, so the joy that we get, the visceral reaction that we get at work, the, the passion, the dopamine hit, the serotonin, all of the things that bring us joy suddenly are all linked to work because that's where we spend 75% of our time and there's no off button. But when we experience a disappointment, when someone tells us we didn't achieve what we were meant to achieve or those milestones or we're a poor leader or we're a bad manager or something we were not expecting, it hits us viscerally. We feel emotionally impacted from it. And some people suffer post-traumatic stress syndrome from it. And I, I don't want to um, liken that condition to those soldiers uh, who face that in tough conditions, in extreme life and death situations. But we can't underestimate as human beings when we spend so much of our time and our whole self-esteem is built around getting the next bonus, hitting and closing this project, hitting numbers that we've been set. It's how we're rewarded and it's what we're responding to. We're rewarded with these things. It gives us the dominion. It becomes addictive. We get the next position. We get the next pay rise. We get the next bonus. And suddenly our whole life is about that. And what we sacrifice to do it, we sacrifice time with our family, with our husbands, with our partners, with, with children, with our best friends. We probably didn't see our best friends maybe four times a year. Doesn't that become nuts? Doesn't that mean that we're giving up so much for these things? It's got to be absolutely worth it. Mm. Really worth it. And we really need to understand the importance of balance, to, to listen to our hearts, to listen to. And our bodies will tell us when we've got backache, when, when things are hurting, when we've got shortness of breath. Our bodies are telling us the stress, the impact on us, the way we're working, what we're doing to ourselves is unhealthy and it's not sustainable. And we have to listen. And sometimes being still and listening to our bodies and our minds and where it's taking us is all the more important to, to ensure that we survive the next 20 years, that we can work and support our families or support ourselves and we can achieve the things that we need to achieve. But balance is really critical. And if our self-esteem is so linked to our work and our job, it means that our leaders almost replicate our parents and so we put them on pedestals. And when they're not human, we're very disappointed. But, you know, we don't need to put them on pedestals. We need to see them as human. They need yeah. to operate as human beings, so, which means they need to show vulnerability. They need to admit that they don't always know the answers. Actually, that humanizes them and it enables us to develop a relationship with them that, that allows us to understand how we behave and how we adjust. So when humans, when bosses and leaders and CEOs or emerging leaders, and depending on what you, where you are in your stage of development and progression, you come in and you say, this is what I did. This is what I felt passionate about. I, I ran 5K for this charity. I, did, I went and painted a house or I joined the mutual aid group to help anyone who needed help with shopping who was vulnerable during lockdown period. Um, it makes us feel good about them. They, yeah. they, they, their lessons, how they behave, may influence us to do a good thing. Um, but it may just make us feel really good by, by knowing someone who's doing that and perhaps us donating to them. But there is good begets good. And I think that there is a ripple effect. I think courage is contagious. I think kindness, compassion, humility is contagious. Um, but I think we have to stop and think about how and what our self-esteem is being built on. 
and we need to find balance. Otherwise, what happens at work is going to impact us viscerally, emotionally, and perhaps pull us out of kilter. Finding balance is really important. I think that's a beautiful message to to bring this wonderful interview to a, a close end uh, <laughs> because that is that is uh, y- y- you know that balance that reconnection that really understanding this this is going to resonate with if people are really transparent and honest mm. with themselves with so many people deeply uh, you know and, and that takes some courage to really acknowledge that as well mm. because. Yeah, I mean, there are things that we can be too transparent about. Let's yeah. not be transparent about the sort of things that yeah. will <laughs> people don't want to know what's yeah. in your porridge or perhaps they don't want to know what your inside leg measurement is. Yeah. There are some things that are always private and should remain private. <laughs> there is a danger of oversharing too. So yeah. I think there, yeah, there's always a balance to be struck. There's always a balance. But if it's <laughs> definitely all one way and it's not working, then it's bring that human aspect to it and, 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 and reset. And now is the perfect time to be thinking of all of, you know, it's, it is this time where, there's been so much, people are so much more forgiving and there's less expectation around, you know, we're seeing into people's homes and lives through mm. Zoom in ways we that we've done before and yeah. things that would have seemed unusual are now normal, you know, and yes. there, is a, there is a difference. So it's, it's a great opportunity to, 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 to just let those masks go. It is. I think the only thing I would say is, is as you were speaking, one of the things that did occur to me, and I think it's, it's, important to share, which is that I follow on the news media, multiple news media outlets. And so one of my closest friends challenged me as to why I was following a particular news media. And I said to her, it was really important to me to follow the the news media I trusted, but it was just as important for me to understand the contrary views. Those who are contrary to what I'm saying, those whose viewpoints perhaps I don't trust or believe in, but I needed to hear them so that I could form my own opinion. Yes. And the, the, the digital era allows me to do that in a way that's respectful. I don't need to subscribe to these. These are available, freely available. And again, that is because I think diversity of voice, diversity of views are really important. I've learned quite a lot from that debate. And I've learned a lot about where people come from who have diverse views. And I really respect it. And actually, they have changed my mind about certain things. And it arose um, during the, the horrible B Brexit debate, but it did arise because I know that people, some people voted because they saw the impact it was having on their children's education and how schools had gone from top performing schools to perhaps not so top performing schools because English became a second language. There were a lot, a lot of resources and time were going to other children who were immigrants or, or perhaps who were refugees. And people reacted emotionally. And there was nothing wrong with the way they reacted. They reacted because their children were missing out. And that's the generation they cared about. And those are the people they cared about. I respect that point of view. And and I think that if we can change our point of view because we are willing to hear diverse voices and views, that says a lot about who we are. And it's that tolerance. We need tolerance more than ever before. Yes, I talk about kindness, compassion, humility, we also need tolerance. We need to listen. And we are closing ourselves off. And the only negative of digital media is the risk of being fed only what we want to hear. Yeah. And that is a really important 
red light warning that we have to address. And I know you talk about it, um, but it's understanding and self-regulating. And, and that is the reason why I listen to other and read other news. And it's upsetting. Sometimes it's really upsetting. So, so beware. Yes. Those it, things can be upsetting, but at least you are informed. Yeah. And, and you're right. The, the, the beauty of the social media in many ways is that in the negative side, you can just be in your bubble, just listening to the loop of everything you want to hear, because realistic people will hear what they want to hear and see what they want to see if left to their own devices and staying within their comfort zones. But the beauty is that you can very, very easily tune into lots of different views and mm. and hear the views of so many like you I'm I'm a number of, a, of various groups and the opinions that I listen to it it, it changes your thinking it changes yeah, it, your thinking. it stretches you mm-hmm. it stretches you and sometimes it makes you uncomfortable that yeah. you're being stretched that way but that's that's how you learn and grow right you don't grow unless you stretch a little bit it is and and I think in part it's always I guess my initial career training as a lawyer has always taught me that there's always another side to the story and, and that, you know, judges listen to both sides of the story and they weigh up uh, where they're going to make the decision. And I really, in my heart, believe that. I believe that social justice. I believe in that equality. I believe in justice will stop. And for me, that has shaped how I now operate in the commercial world. So I'm always willing to hear both sides of the story, always willing to turn things upside down and look at it from a different perspective. And, and I'm always open to hear someone else's story. And as Voltaire said, I'm willing to, to die for your ability to argue and have a different opinion, because I think that is such an important aspect of who we are today. Um, but if, it's, if you have only hate to share, then I exercise my right to switch you off. Yeah. <laughs> the beauty of social media too. Yeah. So please switch that I'll off. Follow. <laughs> Brilliant. So to round this up, I like to ask just three questions of you, Nalima. It's just a bit of, I mean, I feel like we've really got to, <laughs> to hear a lot about your views. And this is, this is just very three quick fire, learn about the podcaster. So if you could change one thing in the world, what would it be? <gasps> oh, that's a hard question. Um, I think I would ask everyone who is who works to do two things. Either if you work to donate your time once a year or periodically to furtherance of education for children, disadvantaged children, as mandatory, alternatively to donate to education causes that help disadvantaged children. So I'd like to make that a mandatory process in some form or another, like your national insurance contributions. Highly practical. Sounds highly doable. I hope so. Yeah, let's see. What, what about books? Which book have you read recently? I know you love to read. So which book have you read recently that's inspired you? You, you know, that's a trick question because you know I've got about 17 different books on the go. <laughs> um, so the ones that I read and reread and go back to regularly and I'm addicted, is um, Simon Sinek's Leaders Eat Last and Brené Brown's um, Dare to Lead or, or Daring Greatly. Oh, I mean, there's just, I could just, I keep listening to them on po- I, podcasting. I listen to yeah. their Audible books. Um, I they read them. Books. I think they, 
their messaging is beautiful and grounds me and I'm, and it inspires me to continue to be, to, to try and live their vision as well as try and live the way that I believe is the right way to be in work as well as personally. Fantastic. Yeah. And they've come up a couple of times on this podcast. So we are, we're all in good company. And last but certainly not least, what's the best piece of advice you've been given to date? Mm. Hands down, my mother's advice, which was education is the passport to your world. Oh, wonderful. And that's why you do the wonderful work that you do with Plan UK. Mm. So Nalima, how can people find out more about the work that you do with Plan, about your wonderful event, Courageous Leaders event? I, I say event, but it's not an event. It's a movement that you've started and, uh, and it's really very special. And, and, and how can people connect with you if they want to carry on the conversation with you? Oh, I'm open to connection. So I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me under my name, Neil Lovactor Jones. You can find me on Twitter, which is at NBJ Neelu, N-I-L. I'll put all the links in for you. Um, and Courageous Leaders has its own website. It's Knees Up Confess. I do it uh, on the side of my day job, but it, it's there and it tells you all about what we do. Um, there's a Just Giving site and more than anything else, even if you don't come to Courageous Leaders, look at Plan International's work. Plan International do some phenomenal work and I wholeheartedly recommend um, you looking them up. They are international so they're based in every territory, they help children around the world and their work is beautiful. Perfect, wonderful. Well thank you so much for your time, your wonderful insights and your energy and passion and bringing all of that to the Connected Leader podcast. You are well and truly a Connected Leader. (laughs) Thank you so much, Michelle. And thank you to everyone listening. I really appreciate the privilege of your time and uh, your ears. You've been listening to the Get Social Connected Leader podcast. Thank you to my guest and indeed, thank you to you for tuning in. Please do feel free to share the podcast with colleagues and friends who you think will enjoy it. And indeed, subscribe to tune in for more episodes. You'll find the podcast on all the usual platforms and all episodes are also on our website, carvelcreative.co.uk forward slash podcasts. You'll also find some really useful digital and social resources on that site too. So be sure to check those out. So for now from me, Michelle Carvel, your host on the podcast, thank you so much for tuning in and goodbye. Oh, P.S. If you're a business leader with something to share around digital and social technologies and you're keen to be a guest on the podcast, then I'd love to hear from you. You can email me, michelle at carvelcreative.co.uk.